The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Warning, this podcast may contain bad language and content that some listeners may find offensive. You're really into that countdown, weren't you? Uh, I'd already started doing it, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> quick, quick, quick. Quick, quick, quick. Okay. Um, before we roll the credits, I just want to say... Welcome to Seesaw Podcast with T and Cleves. Each week, open up a blurry perspective on life. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, we are back with another fantastic guest. We have a barrister. And if you're not familiar with that because you're stateside or anywhere else other than the UK, a barrister is a lawyer. And it's not someone that makes coffee. No, that's a barista. Mm. Although there is on Twitter a barista barrister. So, there you go. Play on words. How fun. So, we have Christina Warner with us today, and we'll be chatting all sorts of things. But episode one, we're going to be talking about what it is like to be a visually impaired barrister and everything that goes into that. So, hope you enjoy it. We really enjoyed this chat. We don't get guests very often, and when we do, it's because they are very interesting and we want to chat to them. And we are joined by the fabulous Christina Warner. Hello. Hello, hello. Hi. How are you doing today? Yeah, good, good. Just so everyone knows, we have a little cameo happening. So we've got Fatty the Cat, (laughs) very much gate crash the party. He's sitting nearly on top of my laptop. So if there's some purring or probably some meows demanding some food, then just so everyone knows, it's not me. (laughs) Is he actually fat? Do you know what? I've recently put him on a diet because his dreamy's addiction is out of hand. It's getting out of hand. So um, it's, yeah, but I think he feels a bit insulted because Fatty is no longer an ironic name. It's kind of like it's become self-fulfilling. Yeah. I've left myself. So. Uh, well, I went as Fatty T for years and that still hasn't changed. And that's not ironic at all. Oh, the food addiction is real. Cats and humans. Oh, Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us today. It's great to have you on, and like we've got a lot to talk about, I think. And uh, I mean, to start off, would you mind sort of saying like who you are, what you do for a yeah. living, and if you're comfortable, sort of your your disability? Yeah, of course. So I'm Christina Warner. I'm a barrister at Goldsmith Chambers. I practice predominantly in family matters. So that's matters concerning children, domestic abuse, divorce, that type of thing. And I also have an assigned in animal protection and animal welfare law as well. I have Stargardt's disease, which is a form of juvenile macular degeneration. So the way that I describe that to people, it's how older people lose their eyesight, but happening to younger people. Uh, My brother also has the same condition. And I was born able-bodied and it 
the stargast manifested itself, I'd say about seven, five to seven years ago, but I've noticed a steep decline in my eyesight um, in the past couple of years. So now I am proudly out of the disabled closet and I am doing a lot of work, disability campaigning and activism, especially when it comes to legislation that needs to be changed and uh, the way that the justice system assists those that are disabled and how they can approach the court system. So that's me. So you were already well into your law career before this happened. Yeah, I was. So I did a four-year degree. I did English law and Spanish law. Then I did a master's. And my eyesight was, you know, the kind of classic I wore glasses, you know, because I was constantly, you know, I had a bit of difficulty seeing far away. Nerd. Yeah. (laughs) Old memories. um, And I noticed during COVID, actually, it was, I think, I don't know if it was because we were locked indoors. It was when, it was during that period of you can only be outside when the moon is in the seventh high and Jupiter's in Uranus. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> out of that period of time. Yeah. Um, we can only go out for one hour a week. And I, I noticed that when I did go out, I thought, wow, it just really shocked me how how much my eyesight had declined. So I wasn't able to, well, I hadn't been able to see the numbers on doors for ages, but I wasn't able to see um, the curb properly um, unless there was nosing or say, for instance, um, parking lines, you know, the bright yellow lines. Yeah. I wasn't able to see, oh, the leaves on trees, I haven't been able to see those for years. I couldn't see window panes. I couldn't see chimneys. And it, I just thought, wow, this is, you know, and you, I think, I know everyone's story is very different, but for me, I, I kind of, ex, I justified it to myself for a long time. I thought, oh, it's only because you've been indoors and your eyes aren't adjusting. But then coming home and in one weekend, I had three items that became crockery casualties because yeah. <laughs> I dropped a plate and two glasses. I couldn't quite see the the bench, that the kitchen bench. Yeah. And I just thought, yeah, I think it might be, I think it might be time for me to look into this and because my brother has had stargarts for some time and it was quite a steep decline for him I thought I need to I need to do something about this because I know that his the way that he was diagnosed was because he fell off a bus and he shattered his collarbone and his arm Ooh. and he um he said that he wasn't able to see the the depth of the pavement from the bus yeah and I thought that could be that could be me so um so yeah I thought I have to have to do something about this and the rest is history is having your brother already have it is that a good thing or a bad thing I I think it's brought us closer we've always been really close we're only about 18 months apart he's younger than me it was really tough to see the decline for him and the frustration and I think it's the frustration in trying to explain to people what you can and can't see And, and trying to understand was really really tough and watching my brother's frustrations, but having him around so that I can share those frustrations now, it, it, it makes me feel a lot less lonely. But at the same time, because he's more advanced than I am, it, it does, you know, it makes me think, is that is that where I'm heading? Does it but make it, you more weary? Yeah, it does to a certain extent, I suppose. Um, but then I think to myself, do you know what? We're not alone. And if this is something that me and my brother have to go through together, then we're just we're just two blind mice instead of three. That's <laughs> all. we're all it's all good. So yeah. yeah, yeah. But we do, and do you know what we joke about it as well? Like sometimes someone might point something out to us, and obviously because we're able-bodied presenting, um, someone will point something out, and both of us are like, 
have you forgotten who you're talking to? We've got no bloody idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> right, looking at what, babe? What are we looking at? I don't know. Yeah. So, <laughs> but um, we do joke about it sometimes. Or my brother, I think his colour spectrum is a little bit compromised. His on mine's pretty good. Um, and he just says, oh, I've got no idea what, what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just open and honest about it. Yeah. Crazy. You were put through the ringer, especially sort of like, it wasn't just like your entire world being flipped upside down, but of course, practising law. Yeah. I mean, how how was that with the the decline in in your vision? Obviously, you you had you must have suspected that it was going to come, but of course, yeah. that doesn't ever prepare you for the reality. And you've got a job to do at the end of the day. So yeah, you know, we've all that? got bills to pay. Yeah, absolutely, we've all got bills to pay, and I was concerned about how my practice, so how it would suffer. Um, and at the time when I first got my diagnosis, there was no support available for barristers with disabilities, and the way that I kind of found support. There were no associations, no organizations. There was nowhere really I could go to to just canvas ideas, to just have a conversation with another disabled barrister. So the first disabled barrister I spoke to, um, she was also, she's blind um, and she was phenomenal. She gave me really practical advice about the access to work scheme. She gave me practical advice about programs and software. But it's it's funny because I'd already been using that software based on what my brother had used. The read aloud facility, being a barrister, I have to absorb a lot of information in, in, in a short period of time. So, and I was using that facility years ago because I found the way that my I was able to retain information visually was really difficult and then I kind of knew okay maybe my brain is almost changing to accommodate the fact that I'm losing my eyesight but I denied it to myself for a long time and I reached out to another barrister um, who was a wheelchair user that I'd known for a good few years and he was just savagely honest with me he's um, very senior very experienced barrister and he just said step up he said, let it be known and and stand tall, stand proud as a disabled barrister. If this is happening to you, he said, get yourself the snazziest, most pimped out glasses yeah, and yeah. let it be known to the world. And he said, and when you get your cane or you get your guide dog, if that's where you're, where you're heading, he went, you best make sure that's the best dressed guide dog anyone has ever seen. I was like, I like this. So. But as time's gone on, associations and organisations have popped up within the legal professions. We've got the Association of Disabled Lawyers, bringing disability to the bar, all bar. And um, I think it's an exciting time because I think there's an awakening within the public consciousness as to disabled rights and the lives we live and what we're capable of as well, that we're not just to be pitied. Um, And I think it's actually a really exciting time. And I'm hopeful that we're heading in the right direction, certainly, especially with what happened at the Oscars. Uh, Coda winning um, best film. It was, you know, it's great. And it's, I think it's an exciting time. So I, I can't remember what yeah. you asked. I've just no, been I, I, no, waffling on. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's great to hear. But I, I suppose just on that, you, you've, you've adapted. Like you said, there's more organisations out there to to assist and you have had support from your peers but I suppose practicing family law you're working with a lot of uh, a lot of individuals outside of of legal professionals yes. and how did how did you find that because I I used to be a personal trainer mm-hmm. and sometimes you show up with a long cane or my guide dog and like, I can see enough to see an expression on someone's face oh yeah and oh, then yeah. yeah they're in tears by the end after the beasting that I've given them but yeah 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 like, yeah how was that like you walk into a room and you're representing people like in in the legal do you, like, like, climate. We, we spoke about this before some the easiest go to a lot of the time like well like you said there in the job but also in the job interviews you first of all have to prove that you can do the job as well as any person that is able bodied 
then yes. you have to prove that you're also awesome at that job. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's funny because one of my, obviously, one of my primary concerns was that it was going to affect my income stream and my livelihood, as I'm sure it does for anybody who was able-bodied and and then acquires uh, a disability through illness or through accident or like in in my case through genetics um uh, that was at the forefront of my mind and that really kept me in the disabled closet for a long time i just thought i'm going to keep doing this for as long as i can i will use my own coping mechanisms so that i'm able to do my job covid came and it it really it really shocked me how bad my eyesight has, had got and i again i referred back to what happened with my brother and i just thought i i'm fearful of whether or not i could i could physically be harmed um by falling over or you know anything there's these you know you kind of catastrophize things don't you so i was really concerned about how my livelihood would be affected but in a in a really lovely twist of fate what I found is that solicitors will now seek me out because their clients want someone who understands disability, not just understands it, but with lived experience. So someone, so for instance, um, a mum with an autistic child, I can't speak to neurodiversity, but I understand the frustrations of being different. Mm. or a client who is a wheelchair user. Again, I can't speak directly to their life experience, but I certainly can draw from my own experience of frustration. So I've been very lucky that solicitors still see me as being the advocate that I was before I before I got my diagnosis. But as I said, with now the added layer of of being open about my life experiences as a person with a disability, a, pra- a legal practitioner with a disability, and I'm not short of work. I'm overwhelmed with work. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's an honour. It's an absolute honour to represent those people, especially when it's parents with disabled children or representing disabled children themselves. Because I like to think that I have a small, very, very small role to play in getting them to where they need to be. You talked about the families and them seeing you as the person to go to, if you like, for potentially cases that may involve discrimination against disability. In terms of your peers, yes, do they see you as credible now as you were back then? Um, I think they probably see me as more credible. I, I get a lot of those kind of, I think, the comments that all of that all disabled people get. You're so brave. Oh. what am I being brave for where am I going I'm like mm. what's happening why am I being brave fighting lions yeah I'm like brave <laughs> like in what kind of way it's um you know and I think that I don't take very well to being patronized well I know I'm from Croydon I should have really caveat that to start. <laughs> I'm, from London. I'm from the Cronks so I don't I don't take very well to be spoken to out the side of someone's mouth um and I think that people, yeah, I do get those kind of comments. I know they come from a good place. You're you're so brave or, you know, and that's great, but I don't. You're an inspiration. You're, you're an inspiration. <laughs> I got that today as it goes. I got that today and I was like, an inspiration for what? Where are we going? Yeah. But um, I think that, yeah, people, my colleagues will occasionally feel a pang of pity and then I remind them of who I am and that quickly falls away. (laughs) So it's, there's just, you know, pity. There's no time. I don't have time for that. I don't have time for it. And there's so much more to me than just being a a woman with sight loss, with progressive sight loss. There's so much more to me. And if people want to talk about that, by all means, um, I'll talk about disability to the cows come home, but 
it, I think it's a credibility towards representing a group of people, uh, uh, the minority of a minority, a very small group of practitioners who are disabled. Um, I add to that credibility, I think. I'm one of, of that very elite group and we are becoming stronger but I think that that's where my credibility stems from, that I'm now part of a very diverse group, although a very small group of legal practitioners who have disabilities. Do you find there's a lot of hurdles? Because when I think of solicitors and barristers, I think of like people rifling through really old books of <laughs> cases and precedents and yeah. <laughs> trying to find those sorts of things to to win. Basically, I watch Suits. I'm not going to lie. I'm a You're bit... watching Suits. <laughs> You're watching Suits. <laughs> having a QC. I see that. I see that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, flop a couple of documents on the desk there we go we've got an episode yeah. it's, um everything's digitalized now which is fantastic because obviously it is an absolute lifesaver obviously you know not speaking to on behalf of the whole of the blind community but i know for me i wouldn't be able to be able to do my job without it i wouldn't be our bodies come in different shapes and sizes so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too that's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold caveat that I would but it would be extremely stressful it would take me a long time to absorb information but everything is pretty much digitalized now that was taking place even before COVID obviously with the with having to print off copious amounts of documents um the court system was moving towards trying to eradicate that rightly so from a um climate change standpoint as well so um everything's digital which is great because then the software that i have that assists me with absorbing the information and preparing the documents that i need is readily available for me on the facilities that i've got to assist me to do my job so it's not so much you will maybe get older barristers who will have a hard copy of a book and i think to myself book what is this thing you speak of (laughs) this this relic how many trees died how many trees (laughs) And um, but not so much in the family courts because everything works at such a fast pace that you need to get the documents to the judge or opposing counsel or your solicitors as quickly as possible. So you just don't have the time to be printing them off, scanning them in. No, just get it done. And um, yeah, so I I think that I hope that answers the question. Yeah. 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 Do you ever have to use any kind of visual aids or anything like that when you're actually in court? So, uh, yeah, I went through the access to work scheme um, and I have. Actually, can I get your thoughts on that? Do you really want my thoughts on this? I've been tweeting about it quite vigorously. Well, um, I did a whole episode where I slammed it for a, for a good I am forty minutes or so. I'm trying to th- I'm trying to think if I can remain as diplomatic as I can. I I am convinced that the system is in place to prevent disabled people from accessing work. Yes, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> Bang um, shit! I said that for ages. I um yeah, it's I'm shocked at the fact that you still have to send everything off hard copy. 
Yeah, by Royal Mail as well, because apparently they didn't accept it by courier. I'm like, how silly of me. I'm like, I'm sorry, 1989 called. They accepted by electronic copy because they did once. They just won't do it every single time. I had to lose myself on the phone, absolutely lose myself, and say to the. I mean, I I, I did think to myself, I need to reel it in. I need to remember it's not their fault. But I do think that the system is it is so restrictive, and I think it's so dehumanizing, so demoralizing. I spend at least. Oh, a day a month just doing paperwork. So doing my travel reimbursements, yeah. doing my support worker reimbursements. And also as well, I think the term support worker, having spoken to um, disabled colleagues who are also legal practitioners, support worker, I think, is just in itself, by virtue of the words, it's so condescending. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I I say personal assistant. Obviously, the the level of needs that that individuals, you know, it's a sliding scale, isn't it? It's, it's a spectrum. So I absolutely appreciate that my needs are going to be very very different. To someone who's a wheelchair user, or um, has paralysis, or um, maybe dependent on uh, feeding tube. Do you know what I mean? So there's yeah. obviously different needs, but I just think. I don't know one disabled person that says, "Oh yeah, you know, support worker," and it comes from a place of, of, of pride. And it's cool if no. they do. Absolutely, I'll support them if that's what they want to. They want to call their their assistant, but they they're a personal assistant. That effectively is yeah. what they, they assist me to do my job. Yeah. So that yeah. I am on the same level as an able-bodied person so I can carry on earning my damn money to pay my taxes so that I can remain a fully functioning member of society. Yeah. It's as simple as that. And Absolutely. I, yeah, the system, I just feel sorry for people and I've got a lot of help. I've got an amazing group of friends um, who helped me out and they've really helped me talking me down from a ledge of absolute anger of like zombie rage <laughs> to, um, you know, helping me with paperwork or um, circulating ads for potential PAs, you know, and, but I feel for, I feel for the young person that is just trying to get a blooming job that mm. is, that has a disability may have a learning, learning difficulties or, you know, or anyone that, for instance, an amputee, if if someone has um, missing arms, I can only imagine how frustrating it must be for them. Just, for, you know, the, the logistics, the actual mechanics of having to fill out the bloody loads and loads of forms. And I yeah. live at the post office. I've yeah. got to know my post office. I'm single-handedly maintaining the post office on Brixton Hill. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there every other week. And it's, yeah, the access to work seems so. I digress. Um, <laughs> the access to work scheme. So I've got my PA. She comes with me um, to work. And usually what happens is um, I remember a lot of the court buildings from my, my seeing days, from my sighted days. So I'm able to navigate buildings kind of okay, um, but obviously with the COVID changes, there was a lot of uh, cordoning off of certain parts of the court building. And that was really confusing for me. So I don't know about yourselves, but I'm very dependent as, as well on like the echoing around the room. So I can tell yeah. the kind of how far away the seating is and things like this. And um, I, so my PA will just say to me, okay, blues over there, consultation rooms over there, court five is over there. You know, so it just gives me a quick, very quietly. So I maintain my dignity and my class and chic. Yeah. They'll just kind of lean in very quietly and just let me know. But on the whole, I'm familiar with the court buildings. But then when I'm in a hearing, I will let the court staff know. I've got my badge that says I'm visually impaired, which I has taken me a, quite a 
time to be able to 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 say the words. I feel like I, I'm summoning the Bubba Duke myself. Yeah. <laughs> I'm usually impaired. I'm like, God, I feel like I'm summoning a bloody demon. But I'm used to saying it now. I tell the court staff. And I usually email the judge in advance, just to let them know, and that I'll have my PA with me. And when I'm in the courtroom, my PA is effectively my eyes. So if the judge addresses me and they don't address me by my name or counsel for father, counsel for mother, um, I won't know if the judge is talking to me. So my PA will say, oh, the judge is asking you that question. And when I'm witness handling, so when I'm questioning a witness, um, I obviously can hear where the witness is coming from and I still have great color vision and great sense of motion as well. So I'm able to home in on the witness, but if there's any kind of mannerisms or any facial expressions, my PA will say, oh, you know, witness is rolling his eyes or um, whatever it might be. Um, so I get kind of, a, I almost get an audio description of what's happening around me via my PA. And that is essential for me. Is essential. That. That's yeah. amazing. I never thought of that, but that's, mm. that's amazing. Like, especially when you talk about body language, yeah, like rolling the eyes, that. like, no, I didn't rob the bank. Of rolling course the eyes. I didn't do that. I <laughs> rolling face palm. But it's obviously if someone is tutting, or someone is um, someone slams a hand on the desk or on the witness box or whatever that I can certainly hear and I can see that because this well the tutting I wouldn't be able to see but the hand down depending on how far away I am, but then my PA will just lean in and say oh um, witness has just raised an eyebrow or witness is 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 looking a bit a bit teary eyed or something like that but I think. I think sight is all relative, isn't it, as well? Because we don't need to absorb information from a visual, just visually. I find that I'm the nuances in the pauses of people's people's evidence. Yeah. I think to myself, oh, and I think almost it's like daredevil level. It's that kind mm. of I get a greater insight, I think, almost to the human condition because I can hear those subtle pauses in their voice. And I think, hmm, someone's panicking, someone's, you know, or or maybe they're thinking about what they're saying. You know, I think we have a greater understanding by virtue of the fact our site is compromised. Yeah, amazing. Like it's Daredevil, fantastic sort of uh... Daredevil. <laughs> Daredevil. Do you get a I imagine there? you get a lot of yeah. <laughs> but if if we uh sort of like it sounds like you're doing amazing work even now, like nothing stopped you. But of course, uh, there are going to be sort of parts where you are going to have your concern. But of course, uh, as a, a woman who is having sight loss, and obviously you're, you're kicking ass in <laughs> in the courtroom. Yeah. But then, yeah, I, I don't want to speculate. You could be daredevil fighting crime at night. But of oh, course, I don't but... want to listen. You're giving the game away. All right, you've said too much. <laughs> you've said too much. <laughs> I mean, on that side of things, it, it must be quite difficult i mean always having to prove yourself and, and there must be concerns that you have sort of day to day keeping your mask up to to convince the world that everything's great but of course we all feel vulnerable and, and there aren't yeah. and sometimes it is a bit tough isn't it yeah i mean i think it's been a steep learning curve in terms of mental challenges as well so i and I think as well, I, I really feel for members of the disabled community who have progressive conditions, so maybe progressive paralysis or, pro or progressive muscle atrophy. So your your challenges don't remain static. 
So that's the case for me and my brother. So this is progressive. And I think that the that gives me a sense of urgency to a certain extent. So I th- so one of the things I said to my friends when I came out of the disabled closet and said, listen, this is what's happening to me. I said, sign me up for every holiday, every event, everything you guys are doing, because I know eventually the sun will go down on my site. So mm. I know that eventually... I'll be left with um, a kind of ring of vision because Stargard starts from central vision and um, it erodes the macula really from the inside out. So you end up with like a donut around the outside of peripheral vision, if you're lucky. Mm. And I've, you know, by the time the sun sets for me, I've, I want to have an archive of memories that I can refer to. So when my friends are, and I've got the most amazing group of fabulous, amazing, amazing queer friends who really understand as well, who just, get it and some of them are neurodiverse and when we all sit around and I've lost my sight completely and we start talking about some ridiculous thing we went to where we had the time of our lives I will draw from that memory and that's what I do not want to miss out on so with as someone with a progressive condition I want to make sure that I'm taking every opportunity I can so that that memory bank that vault is as colorful as vibrant as loud as ridiculously fabulous as possible so that I don't ever feel like I've missed out on anything. And I know that my experience of holidays or like a friend of mine pointed out an amazing sunset and I was like, the colors look great, but I can't like, that's about as far as my experience goes, but that's no less than, and they actually got quite emotional this time, crying, bless them. And I just said, you know, but it's not less than, it's just different. And I will remember Mm. this. It's, you know, it's, I know that I'm already missing out on certain things, but that's okay. Because I just experience, I may be more likely to listen to what's going on around me or remember, I know the smell of suntan lotion or, Usually with my friends, it's, you know, this whatever rum they're drinking or whatever. <laughs> it's usually that kind of all adds to the experience. It doesn't need to be all visual. For me, one of the things, the mental health side of things has been really, really tough because I've had periods where I've woken up at night and it's still been dark and I've assumed that I've lost my vision overnight. Like that, I just think to myself, this is it. It's happened yeah. now. And that is frightening. And I've thought to myself, God, you know, I can't, I can't see anything at all. I can't see shadows. I can't see color. I can't see anything. And I think, and that still happens to me sometimes, but I've kind of, I just thought that day will come, but that day is just not today. And, um, but in terms of day-to-day fears, I think it's really the logistics of being a woman with a disability, especially a sensory impairment, sensory compromise. And actually, no, it, it transcends that because I've spoken to friends who are wheelchair users. And we do we do have similar fears of being the victims of street crime, of sexual assaults, uh, or just generally being targeted to have our drink spiked, to be followed home because uh, people see us as low-hanging fruit or easy pickings. And that's a narrative, I think, that is is really... It seems to be society seems to double down on that, that that disabled women, we really are the bottom of the back, the bottom of the bottom of the barrel. The way that disabled women and girls are treated on the front line of international conflict is horrendous. It's treated as subhuman, first to be left behind, first to have their resources completely shut down and then most likely to be used as human shields in international conflict. So what does that mean to me? Well, that shows me that there is an idea that that women, in particular women and girls with disabilities, we are less than, we are not worthy of, and I'll be damned if that continues. So 
yeah, but then I, I think we need to use the resources around us. So in my case, I make sure I put my um, location for my one of my friends. Um, even if I'm, say, heading to the gym, I'll put my location on so they know where I am and or just let someone know where I am just generally. But at the same time, or get a friend to meet me, get a friend to meet me somewhere. Do you know what? Do you mind coming to pick me up? Yeah, no problem. Just start the yeah. night early. <laughs> and it's, um, you know, but it is it is scary. And I can imagine that for women who are wheelchair users or walking age users, not being able to get away from a potential attacker perpetrator must be really tough. In my case, you know, the, I, I'm not going down with that fight, but certainly it's, you know, the, the being able to identify that person, that's really, it's nightmare fuel, but that's that's just the way things are and i think making yourself feel as safe as you can as a woman with a disability and forming a strong network so yeah. be honest about what your needs are be honest with your friends be honest with your family do you know what i do need you to come and get me and we're back i'm doing the back thing this time part two next week we'll be talking about next week well uh, it's more about disabled stuff isn't it like uh, the plights of the disabled community accessing the legal system um, also some more about being a barrister and Christina's journey. Plus advice for people that want to get into jobs and particularly into law and the campaign work that she's doing. So tune in then. If you haven't already, usual plug, Diceheads episode three is out now. Please go over to the Diceheads channel and check that out. Uh, yep. Other than that, we shall see you next week. Yep, links in the notes. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Seesaw Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Seesaw Pod, Facebook, Reddit, Instagram, and YouTube at Seesaw Podcast. You can also email us at seesawpodcast at gmail.com. Like, rate, review, subscribe, and then you can also find us on TikTok, but get us on all the other places. This podcast was recorded in front of a blind audience. For anyone listening to today's episode, they may have heard some dings. This is a game I've added in for my own amusement during editing, and I'm going to call it T's Amazing Game. He's unaware of it currently. That's why I'm putting this in at the end. Tune in next week and play along at home. The score this week was four, but will it be beaten?